This podcast is not for the easily offended, victimhood enthusiasts, or those who take themselves too seriously, namely cyclists, conspiracy theorists, personal trainers, and other fanatics. Your Hobby is Shit is a nerd-free environment which strongly discourages dickheads from listening. Authorised by Sean Woodland for Your Hobby is Shit. For a long time now, humans have invented, inadvertently stumbled across and participated in a variety of activities we now know as hobbies. We use them for pleasure, to reduce corporate guilt, to escape the misery of home life and to help deny the grim reality that awaits us all. From the bizarre, obsessive and psychologically illuminating to the downright ludicrous, whatever your hobby, this podcast is going to pull it apart. So whack in your headphones, get into your hobby with a vengeance and prepare to be exposed because I'm Sean Woodland and your hobby is shit. Hello and welcome to Your Hobby is Shit, a podcast devoted to understanding why we pursue the things that we do. As a 51-year-old male who identifies as exactly that, there's plenty of things I still want to do before I eventually drift off to have the sleep where I won't need a pillow. Some people call doing this stuff either a bucket list or ticking boxes. Personally, I consider those to be meaningless catchphrases. People use them essentially because their souls have already vacated their bodies, or they feel only capable of expressing themselves with vapid cliches in a manner befitting their dwindling zest for life. These are the very people who send hallmark cards to people they purport to love deeply, post inspirational quotes on Facebook, and stick patronising mantras up on walls at the gym. They're the type who have waited 20 years for Friends of Reunion to appear on television. They speak of knights in shining armour. They introduce new partners as the love of their life, even though it's usually the third or fourth. They adore walks on the beach with someone special, unless of course it's too windy or they're getting sand in their hair. And they use their social media accounts to claim how much they love family and friends, as opposed to all those people who detest their family and friends, I suppose. But you know what? Good on those folks. They are, uh, in lieu of a more condescending term which has failed to materialise in my head at the moment, they're, they're the salt of the earth, that's the one, and they can describe their unfulfilled dreams and feelings in as shallow a way as they like. Who the fuck am I to take pot shots at how others live? I'm hardly in a position to be critical. Me, someone who's been a fan of the band Kiss since 1980, has had tinier on the very same toe since 1989 and has soiled myself with various levels of severity every single year of my life. Except this year, so far. Pay no attention to whatever I say about your hobby or passion. Keep doing it, even if it does mean you're living a total lie. Anyway, one of the things I hadn't considered having a go at whilst living my best life is writing a will. Never even entered my mind. Why would it? Let's face it, no one wants to think about dying. So far I've been more preoccupied with my parents' will and how it'll be dispersed. Yet, writing a will is something my wife Lou has been, it must be said, suspiciously encouraging me to do for quite a while now. Truth is, at some point, we are all going to die. So I began to think about what, other than the seven unpublished books I've written, I had to leave behind for my wife and two kids. So I wrote a will, didn't I? And this is it. To whom it may concern, I, Sean Woodland, hereby bequeath, 
I'm not sure if Philistines will understand my clever use of Latin there. 17 cans of VB, half a pouch of tobacco, a pinch of weed, 30 Kiss albums, my clothing collection, all St Vinnie's type stuff, a worthless sports bet account, fuck all superannuation, and $20,000 in debt to my beautiful wife, Lou. That's it. That's my will. How easy it is to make a, a valid will. That is it. That's how easy it is to write a valid will. Much easier than writing seven books that will likely never be published. And if you thought that wasn't many possessions for a bloke of my vintage to leave behind, it gets worse. By the time I've finished recording this, I'm going to have to rewrite it because it will be closer to 10 cans of VB and bugger all weed. Look, you're probably wondering what the hell this episode is about, and to be fair, as I just snapped back to reality after remembering that I'd left beers in the freezer and that I still had to find a, a Hallmark card to read to my kids so I could adequately express my love for them before bedtime, I'd forgotten too. Then I remembered why I'd forgotten, because I don't care. If you're chilled, relatively happy, can bend over and touch your knees, and you're not obsessed with how much money you'll have left when you die, you're already relaxed. You don't need a relaxing hobby. You don't need fucking yoga. You're already ticking all of yoga's boxes. Yoga can fuck off. It's a hobby for people who are too lazy to go for a run or do proper exercise. We've all played Twister. Grow up. I played Australian rules football quite badly till the age of 30. We did yoga all the time. It was called stretching, limbering up. We limbered up before a game of football. We didn't limber up with the express purpose of then going straight home. Yoga is pretty shit, and like most of the uh, hobbies I slag off in this podcast, with the possible exception of base jumping, I've had a go at it. I was invited to do yoga many, many times, usually by female mates, many of whom I still love today, but they were proper mental at the time. You know, they had those eyes, those eyes of someone who's just signed a gym membership or found God. The evangelical enthusiasm of a woman doing yoga is so terrifying, you're reluctant to disagree with them. Bug-eyed freaks. And they'd say stuff like, Nourish my vessel to activate my DNA and <laughs> to bring me shit? into alignment with my alignment with my highest state, my highest good, the oh, highest good of help. all. And so it is. They look like they're on meth when they say it too, so it's best not to argue with them. But I did. I used to argue that you could just lie down and relax at home. Uh, they'd always bang on that there's a deeply spiritual angle to yoga, uh, even for those not born in India. Uh, what the spiritual angle does, it ensures that loads of filthy hippies, brown rice and sandals types, and lots of mental people do it. Uh, it's cheaper than therapy, but not nearly as effective. But it still remains a terrific way for those in the corporate sector to cleanse themselves of their capitalist culpability. Also, in my experience, the crazier the participant, the more classes they attend, and the more vociferously they will argue to its soul-soothing benefits. It's, it's almost like they're trying to convince themselves. It wasn't until one female friend divulged to me that yoga made women do fanny farts that I began to think about going along. And not only did I go, I went with my mum. So we turn up and this woman introduces herself as Sharon. Now, I immediately thought Sharon was a sales rep for silicon implants and cosmetic surgery, but it turns out she was the deeply spiritual yoga instructor. Sharon exchanged her business card for my $40 before even shaking hands. 
If someone hands you a business card before completing a reasonably sincere greeting, it's a good indicator that you're in the presence of a sociopath. To be fair, the business card was put to good use as I made several roaches with it in the ensuing months. Uh, Because I'd wanted to fit in, I wore lycra, and the way Sharon visually appraised me, I suspected that she was jealous at me having the biggest camel toe in the group. So we get started, there's me and 10 women in their early 60s, plus Sharon. Uh, I was the only one in the group without a $90 yoga mat, but bizarrely was the only one in the group who turned out to have a fanny. The symphonic calamity that erupted from within me was earth-shaking, and we weren't even doing the wind-relieving pose at the time. (laughs) It was so embarrassing for me and my mum. Uh, from memory, it, it sounded something like this. Go a little deeper. Maybe you need your knees bent quite deeply here. Always doing what feels good for your body. Slowly and roll up as slowly as you can. <laughs> that was that was pretty much it. And uh, let that be a lesson to you if you're going to, <laughs> to yoga. <laughs> Apologies for that disgusting interlude, uh, but I just wanted to give you some indication. Like, imagine how I felt, and none of you had to smell it. So, mum ended up, she had to find a new yoga class, and it also means that to this day, I'm still out of the will. But I'll tell you what, yoga, it's not as easy as it looks. Most of the positions are as hard as trying to take your shoes off after a night on the silly syrup, when you're as full as a caterpillar sock drawer. At a push, I'd say that judging by the number of salad dodges in the group, yoga won't help with weight loss either. However, watching myself and other fatties tumble over and roll around on the floor like untrained seals, it's a good laugh. If you want to lose weight doing yoga, I'd suggest jogging home afterwards. Yoga hurts, and not just your underpants. It was anything but relaxing. But... If you have ambitions at being one of those freaks that can contort themselves into a box at the circus, yoga might be the right hobby for you. And you know what else hurts? Hangovers. But unlike yoga, before the pain at least you get to experience some relaxation. Okay, let's have a closer look at yoga. It's a group of spiritual, mental and physical practices that originated in ancient India. Obviously, these beginnings explain why it's now so popular among white women who drive Audis in affluent suburbs all over the Western world. Research studies show that yoga, which includes breathing exercises, postures, chants, and meditation, and, (laughs) of course, farts, can reduce stress and improve immunity and lung function. It's a use of the word can that makes me suspicious here. Like when you read that a homeopathic remedy can improve your sex life. It doesn't mean that it does. I guess yoga can relieve stress, but almost anything that doesn't involve being around your children or at work can relieve stress. Uh, Not sure about the immunity claim? To be on the safe side, I'd still recommend getting your Pfizer jab. Now, I'm not an expert on lungs either, nor their function will be on the breathing part, but this one could be true. But I also know of something else that improves lung function. A really good mate of mine went to sign up at a gym in Los Angeles many years ago and he was put through his paces by one of those personal trainer psychos and uh, and he had to do a medical thing. And this guy asked him, my mate, if he was a swimmer or marathon runner because he had such extraordinary lung capacity. Uh, What my mate didn't tell him was that this extraordinary lung capacity was brought about by him doing this every day for 20 years. 
That's right, being on the Susie Wongs is what gave my mate such incredible lungs. And the same strategy worked for the greatest Olympian of all time too. American swimmer Michael Phelps has punched more cones than Snoop Dogg. Okay, let's have a look at the types of yoga. There's several different types, many actually. And I suspect, without question, these were created in ancient India with a view to catering for self-obsessed, easily bored city folk who would require constant stimulation a few thousand years down the track. First up is Bikram Yoga. This form of yoga was popularised by a yogi going by the name of Bikram Chowdhury, who became famous outside of the yoga world when a Netflix documentary that had nothing to do with him being a good yoga teacher or nice person was released a couple of years back. You'll struggle to believe this, but Chowdhury was described as charming and charismatic. Bikram Yoga is done in 40 degree heat. If you think about that, of course it is. Yoga was invented in India and it's fucking hot there. Despite the obviousness of this to anyone not desperate to be hoodwinked by a charlatan, gullible Westerners turned up in their droves to be artificially heated to within an inch of their lives in a yoga studio. No doubt Bikram Yoga gained immense popularity because, well, we're a bunch of fat pigs who like the idea of losing weight so long as we don't have to reduce the amount of food we eat or exercise. Bikram Yoga is basically like having a sauna. You temporarily lose a lot of water, not fat, through sweating, and then walk out the door and put it straight back on. Unless, of course, you're a jockey or boxer who pretty much live in saunas. I've got a mate who has jogged with a garbage bag strapped to his guts for 30 years now. Uh, he was hoping to achieve the same thing. And he's still a fat fuck. Chowdhury, however, he doesn't wrap himself in a plastic bag. He teaches his classes wearing only Speedos. And the surprises keep on coming. His students... Only wear Speedos or bikinis, a practice that was no doubt introduced in stinking hot ancient India. I'll tell you what though, it only takes a quick listen to the seductive dulcet tones of Chowdhury to fully appreciate why people are drawn to him and his brand of spirituality. American way, make Bikram Yoga, copyright, trademark, franchising, patent. The Justice Department, the government will protect you. Because if there's one thing that immediately pops into my mind when I think of yoga, it's corporate dominance and no competition clauses. And in yet another shock, not that I'm an expert on yoga, but even to a dopey prick like me, some of Chowdhury's methods would it seem best unorthodox. This is one of his students who spent in excess of $11,000 in a bid to learn from the master and turn her skills into a money-making machine. Women are bitches and whores. They're here for one thing, to spread their legs and make babies. Jesus fucking Christ. Chowdhury wouldn't have too much trouble gaining pre-selection in the Australian Liberal Party. Anyway, it turned out to all be a bit of a misunderstanding and thankfully, Chowdhury cleared it up. I never lie, never cheat, I never hurt another spirit. I'm the most spiritual man, David, you ever met in your life. But today, you are not old, educated, smart, intelligent, wise, experienced enough to understand who I am. Now, I don't know about you, but after listening to that student a few moments back, who was one of, let me assure you, plenty who made complaints against Chowdhury, I was beginning to question whether he had the makings of a cult leader and was just in it for the money and exposure he received by training celebrities like Lady Gaga, Madonna, David Beckham and Bill Clinton. 
But having listened to Chowdhury explain himself just then, I feel much more informed and find it easier to understand why a man who basically taught people how to stretch in a sauna can go on to, among other things, own a warehouse full of luxury cars and have millions upon millions of followers. It seems Chowdhury, like so many other men before him, was simply misunderstood. Okay, let's have a look at the next type of yoga, Hatha Yoga. It's different because it's practiced at a slow pace and focuses on meditation. So it's suitable for those who are really fucking lazy. I'll do an episode on meditation in the future, but for those of you who don't know, it's basically just sleeping for people who are too ashamed to admit that they're having a rest. Relaxing, eh? (laughs) Sounds like the lead up to when someone's about to have a knife plunged through their chest in a horror movie. Surya Namaskar otherwise known as sun salutation yoga, is where the participant performs 12 graceful and flowing movements towards the sun in the morning. So if you live in a rainy shithole like Melbourne, London or Seattle, you've got more chance of waking up with your genitals glued to the mattress than you have of doing this. The sun salutation is similar to an imaginative yet highly pretentious fad that was momentarily popular among wellness industry influencers in about 2020. Having my anus in the sun. (laughs) It's called perineum sunning. This is where a metaphorical arsehole points their actual arsehole at the sun. It's already brown, you shallow miscreants. It doesn't need a suntan. Perineum sunning is supposed to be good for your emotional wellness. If asked for an opinion on this, I'd confidently state that the only way pointing your rusty sheriff's badge at anything could cause an improvement to your emotional well-being is if you do it out the back of a bus window in the direction of a complete stranger. The sublime irony of the wellness industry is that firstly, it's referred to as an industry, rather than whatever good it claims to provide. And secondly, that those who succumb to its transparent fraudulence couldn't possibly claim to be well. The self-improvement industry is currently valued at almost $10 billion. And that figure was from a few years back, Look, I would have thought that commercialised spirituality was an oxymoron. Perineum sunning is also meant to provide an immediate surge of energy. This one's true. I experienced an incredible surge of energy while being chased by the pigs and a few lifeguards after stripping off and pointing my balloon knot at the sun while down at Maroubra Beach last week. Another claim made by these filthy animals is that perineum sunning increases creativity and creative output. Me? I'd immediately sack any fuckwit who tried this one on in the office. 30 seconds of sunlight on your chocolate starfish is the equivalent to a whole day of sunlight with your clothes on. That's another unverified and spurious claim made by these deluded dead shits. I'm not even going to dignify that tripe with a response. If you're doing yoga in the nude, you're a depraved flasher, not someone on a journey to spiritual enlightenment. Okay, Anasara Yoga. That's the phonetic pronunciation and not to be confused with perineum sunning. It's another form of yoga. Unlike the others, which are alleged to have evolved thousands of years ago in India, this one was invented in the late 1990s by a bloke called John Friend. He's he's whiter than me. You couldn't make this shit up. Anasara is organised into three A's. Attitude, action and alignment. There could be a fourth, arsehat. Anasara is based on the principle 
that all beings have intrinsic good within them. And this was certainly the case with John Friend, who is extremely good at extracting money from gullible fucking idiots. Friend appears in the top 10 wealthiest yoga instructors of all time. But like his buddy from Bikram, Friend could have been much wealthier had sexual harassment charges not impeded the growth of his financial empire. I'm no genius, but I reckon there's a pattern developing here with these yogis. In case you're interested, the wealthiest yoga teacher in the world is worth somewhere in the vicinity of 75 million. Incredible that from its humble beginnings in ancient India, yoga has seamlessly adapted to capitalism so well and fast become a franchise peddling Ponzi scheme. All the while managing to convince its participants that lying on the floor while doing a bit of stretching is a cat's pyjamas. Of all the wealthy female yoga teachers who made the top 10 list, there's not a single brown-skinned one among them. Amazing that in about 30 years, white people have become more proficient at something it took Indians thousands of years to master. Right now, let's have a more in-depth look at those who are devoted to sharing their ancient skills with others at a price, those who teach yoga. Unsurprisingly, many high-profile yoga teachers are men. They're called yogis or gurus and give themselves names like Swami, which is Hindi for pervert. They usually begin teaching basic positions such as the downward dog, the cobra and the locust before surreptitiously advancing to more specialist manoeuvres like the chair sniffer, the dirty Sanchez and the Kama Sutra on vulnerable women. In the Western world, 90% of yoga participants are women. 5% are gay, which means of course that the remaining 5% are sexual predators. Yes, another likely outcome for yoga participants is being manhandled by a misogynist deviant posing as a professional. These male instructors are usually skinny and have ponytails and are equally as creepy as their look like the professional photographer. Unlike their students, well apart from Bikram Chowdhury of course, most male yogis rarely wear lycra, instead opting for those poop-catching clown pants which ostensibly serve the purpose of hiding their disgusting erections. And don't for a minute think I'm undervaluing the skill set of yoga gurus. It requires considerable guile to coax a group of women into dressing in scantily clad outfits, then getting them to perform erotic poses in front of you before charging them for the pleasure. That's an achievement like getting a prostitute to pay you for sex. If you want to learn more about the type of men who teach yoga, there's an abundance of podcasts and Netflix specials available. Strangely, you'll find just as much content under the true crime category as you will under spirituality and religion or leisure. In conclusion, yoga accommodates numerous sex fiends who have an unhealthy addiction to separating people from their money, something the ancient Indians would no doubt be proud to see if they were still around today. The benefits of yoga, whilst not to be underestimated or trivialised, are similar to those you can achieve simply by going for a walk, smoking a bong, or sitting on your sofa and sipping on a cold beer. Like a lot of shit hobbies, you can actually die doing yoga. It's happened, and there's a podcast I remember listening to about it. Uh, the guy was charged, he was another creep. But if you don't die, you can still suffer from quite serious illnesses and injuries like stroke, paralysis and serious muscle damage, not to mention unwanted sexual advances. It's a fairly cheap hobby, with yoga mats at around $100 each, or you could just get a paper-thin camping one for fuck all. I slept on one of those for nearly a whole year once and I turned out just fine. 
Yoga clothing, of course, is more expensive, and if you want to look your best before being preyed upon by a softly spoken Barnaby Joyce type of man, you can spend several hundred dollars on your yoga clobber, which, to put things into perspective, is well in excess of what it costs for a man to have a painful vasectomy. And if you're a man with a well-concealed predatory instinct who experiences great difficulty meeting and communicating with women, you know, the type who has already been banned from his local gym and probably won't ever have a need for a vasectomy, for around the $100 mark, you can dress up like the absolute wanker that you are and enjoy an hour of yoga with some captive female company, with limited, if any, competition to bother you. And the yoga classes themselves, they're not overly expensive. Well, not until you express a desire to get in on the Ponzi scheme. For standard classes, you can pay as little as $25 to lie on the floor in agony while convincing yourself that you're being the best version of you. Yoga retreats, though, they can cost into the thousands. But they're a perfect opportunity for people who are struggling through, say, a dying marriage to fall into the arms of the chair-sniffing instructor or even another attendee, someone whose life is in much the same miserable state as your own. And that's yoga. It might sound like you're in a sexually explorative swingers club or weird shagging cult when you peruse the long list of yoga moves. There's the downward dog, the bound ankle pose, the bridge pose, the plow pose, the forward bend, the standing split and the quick bend over the lounge. The kids are outside on the trampoline and I've got a stiffy pose. But rest assured, all of these moves have been harnessed over thousands of years to help you appreciate, for a small fee, that among other things, your body hears everything your mind says. And right now, my mind is saying, Namaste, motherfuckers. Yoga, your hobby is shit. Thank you for listening. I'll be back each and every week with harsh but fair critiques of shit hobbies. You can find the podcast wherever you listen to them. Chances are, you already have. Be an upstanding citizen, do the right thing, and share the podcast with your friends, even if you don't like it. You can even give us a review if you want. You can find Your Hobby is Shit on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Your feedback is welcomed. Send your suggestions for shit hobbies in and I'll get to them in due course. For those of you with a penchant for complaining and whinging, you know who you are. Please do so in audio format so the rest of us can have a laugh at your expense in future episodes. Just use the Voice Memos app on your iPhone or whatever it is you weirdos with other phones use. Thanks again, listeners. You're a credit to your families. My name's Sean Woodland, and your hobby is shit. Oh, you fucking idiot. Possibly can't clap. wonder if yoga fixes stutters. Yoga is shit. And like most of the things I slag off in this pop, pod, fucking, learn to speak.